At a time when investors are confronted with market volatility and a variety of challenges fueled by the uncertainty of inflation, unsettled geopolitical tensions, and economic pressures, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. This is Invest Talk, independent thinking, shared success. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors. This is Invest Talk, and today is Friday, March 1st, 2024. I'm your host, Luke Guerrero, and we have one goal here at Invest Talk, and that's our goal every day to make you a better investor. But truly, that's up to you because your questions and your comments are what makes this show happen five days a week. Now, before we start to pursue that goal today, the moment we've been teasing has finally arrived. We are thrilled to announce the inaugural debut of the Invest Talk March Madness Contest. Instead of basketball brackets, we're pitting companies head-to-head in an epic showdown of market prowess. Participants will navigate through the market's ups and downs, all competing for the grand prize of $1,000. So if you're ready to test your skills in this unique competition, don't wait. It's free to join the fun. Visit investtalk.com right now to enter and secure your chance to win big. But hurry, you only have until March 17th to submit your predictions. Download every podcast for more updates and details on how to join the excitement. And be sure to tell your friends and the Invest Talk about the Invest Talk March Madness Contest. Now, with that being said, I know that's very exciting for not just us, but for you as well. Before we preview our show topics today and talk a little bit about the market, let's kick it off by answering our first caller question that came in earlier. Oh, we're actually going to go to a live question. James from New York, how are you doing? How can we help you? I'm doing well. And yourself? Doing well. Thank you. Um, So I was thinking about maybe getting some exposure to the electric vehicle uh, space. And I thought after this week, Lee Auto posting some positive earnings, uh, I was wondering how that might be for a long-term investment. Do you think there's a lot of long-term major growth there? You know, it's, it's, it's difficult because electric vehicles are incredibly expensive and intensive to produce. The materials are expensive to gather. There are supply shortages, and really the demand isn't there. That's something we've been talking about for quite some time. You see it with a lot of companies like rental car companies, for example, bought a bunch of electric vehicles. Now they're flooding the market with them because nobody wants to have to charge their vehicle when they're on vacation. And so the demand just doesn't seem to be there. You know, I saw something uh, uh, Elon Musk said the other day, which is the natural state of a car company is dead, which is true. It's an incredibly difficult business to be in. And a lot of the ones now, with Tesla being the exception, aren't even making money. So given the dynamics of not just what goes into the supply, the supply chain chain dynamics of creating these cars and the fact that most of these businesses aren't profitable and people aren't even demanding them on the consumer end, I just don't think right now is a good time to get into electric vehicles. There's a lot that has to happen to make it more accessible and cheaper uh, before it seems that it can be writ large a profitable business. Thanks for the call. Now, we got a lot of ground to cover in the next 45 minutes or so. Here's some of what I have planned, time permitting. 
Our main focus point today is about China, Japan, and the Fed, and how they are shaking up the $26 trillion U.S. Treasury market. Buyers of U.S. Treasuries have been changing, and the shift could have broad implications to the U.S. economy. Also, banks. Regional banks are back in the news, and there seem to be some signs of trouble. We'll talk a little bit about one bank whose shares fell 26% today. Also on the corporate governance side, activist investing is no longer just a tactic from the hedge fund sharks. It has migrated from hedge funds and corporate raiders to unions. So how have these unions been using the tactics of activist investors, and what can that do for companies going forward. And should we have time at the end of the show, we'll talk a little bit about some fun research on trends and how when you become aware of them and when they're named, think FANG or the MAG7, when is the best time to put your money into them? So we'll talk a little bit about that later on as well. And we have some caller questions in our voice bank ready to play, including one from a young investor who wants some advice and one on HTGC Hercules Capital Incorporated. And of course, throughout the show, as we just heard, we take live calls. So please feel free to call anytime over the next hour or really any time of day, seven days a week, 888-99-CHART. Now, let's talk a little bit about the market today. Equities finished pretty significantly up. The S&P 500 was up about 80 basis points. And really, that's capping off what happened on Thursday, which was the fourth straight month of gains. The S&P 500 is up 16 of the last 18 weeks. Pretty significant, considering that's the first time that's happened in 50 years. Tech primarily still being the main driver. Hardware semis did pretty well today as well on the back of some, frankly, stellar earnings coming out of Dell. Energy precious metals were also good outperformers today. Treasury, something we'll be talking about as our main focus point today, rallied after some softer U.S. data uh, on the back of, frankly, some hotter CPI and PPI data earlier in the month, as well as some Fed balance sheet comments. Gold ended up to, up 2% with crude oil settling down about 2% after touching above, or rather settling up about 2% after touching the $80 mark for the first time since November. You know, all the upside generally, it appears, kind of came from, or rather in spite of the hawkish repricing of Fed pivot expectations. You'll remember at the beginning of the year and at the end of last year, a lot of people said that there was going to be six cuts. We didn't believe that. That seemed like far too many cuts. We also didn't believe that it was going to happen in March. And now over the past month, what you've seen is that repricing. People think maybe come summer we can see some Fed cuts. And certainly expectations are now falling in line with what the Fed dot plot has been saying. Let's see what else happened today on the economic front. ISM manufacturing slightly missed and new orders fell back into contraction territory. And, and Michigan consumer sentiment was revised lower in its final reading you know, one thing that I want to start doing, uh, should I be with you on these on these Fridays going forward, is kind of talk about the bullish and the bearish narratives from that week, just to give you a good understanding of both sides of the argument. And from a bullish perspective, January core PCE inflation in line with expectations. That's great. On the back of, like I said, hotter CPI and PPI prints. The Friday bond rally was a result of softer data suggesting that the Fed could start to pivot soon not just from an interest rate front, but also from a quantitative tightening front. 
tech momentum seems to be here to stay and AI, AI proliferation is, is a secular growth theme that somewhat seems to be broadening. Earnings season largely done, but strategists are pointing out that about 7% of the S&P 500 aggregate earnings beat for Q4. Mostly concentrated, but still something to consider. And more sell-side strategists are taking the S&P 500 price targets higher, certainly good for the bull case. But things aren't all good. Core PCE inflation still rose at the fastest pace in nearly a year. There's still stretch positioning, specifically in tech. And like I mentioned, ISM manufacturing is contracting for the 16th straight month. And along with those Q4 earnings, you saw some, frankly, lackluster Q1 outlook with the lowest proportion of positive guidance since the second quarter of 2022. On top of that, from a macro perspective, you have a difficult regulatory backdrop with an FTC and DOJ that has some pretty significant antitrust suits ahead and a ramping up in national debt, which could broader de- pull down the broader economy and soak up some liquidity should the treasury need to continue to issue record levels of debt. So it's important, like I said, to keep the positives and the negatives in mind so that you can be a better investor and be more informed in terms of how you want to allocate your capital. Now we're going to a quick break. Please remember that you can call anytime and leave your questions on the Invest Talk Voice Bank. If you're listening via our live stream or AM 1220 radio in the Silicon Valley area, call now at 888-99-CHART. Invest Talk callers make each podcast unique. I was calling about Intel, if it's worth holding on to, or should I sell it? Their questions are curious. Hello, I have saved up around $80,000, and I was wondering what I should do to make it grow. Careful. Oh, I'm just wondering, is this a value trap? Because it looks like it's gone down quite a bit. Concerned. Uh, it's taken quite the tumble today. I've been trying to get out of this position for a while. I think I waited too long. And clever. This seem to be situated in some areas of expanding population. And Justin Klein, Steve Peasley, and now Luke Guerrero are always ready with their unbiased answers. And this is, it looks like a classic example of chasing yield. Don't chase the yield. Next 12 months price to earnings is around 30 I just don't see it at this price. Don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. InvestTalk is here to help. And when you download the free InvestTalk podcasts, don't forget to rate and review. The phone lines are open, 888-99-CHART. Hi, this is uh, Victor calling from uh, Illinois, and I have a question for you guys on the podcast. I'm a recently new uh, listener, and I've been enjoying most of the episodes, so I figured I'd uh, call in and uh, ask my question. Uh, I've been recently looking at a ticker, uh, Imperial Petroleum, goes by IMPP, and uh, it's been hovering around the low threes, upper uh, twos right now, and amidst all the uh, geopolitical things going on in the Red Sea and the recent price increase uh, for tankers and uh, oil tankers at that. I was just wondering if this may be a good short-term investment slash trade. I'm looking forward to potentially hearing this uh, be answered on the podcast. Thank you guys. Keep up the great work. Well, thanks for the call and welcome to the Invest Talk family. 
IMPP Imperial Petroleum Inc. operates as a ship-owning company and provides really petroleum product and crude seaborne transportation. It is a micro-microcap. It's $53 million and has zero debt, which is good. It's a $53 million company. What is not good is that it is on and off in terms of being profitable. They lost $11, nearly $12 actually in 2021. They made a profit in 2022. Then they made 98 cents or sorry, $3 in 2023, and they're projected to make $0.98 cents per share this year. Frankly, it's all over the place. It's incredibly volatile, which is exactly what you'd expect, not just within this business, but for a micro cap in this business. And the short interest out there is a whopping 74%. You know, you're talking about geopolitical issues, which is certainly something that is important for you to think about. And I like where your head is. But the companies that are going to be able to overcome those geopolitical headwinds are going to be ones that frankly are far bigger than this one. And so I don't see it as a good short-term hold. I don't see it as a good trade either. It's, it's too volatile. There's way too much short interest out there. Their cash flow and profitability is, is all over the place. So if you want to invest in, in, in shipping, I would probably look elsewhere. Thanks for the call. Now let's squeeze in another quick question now that came in earlier to 888-99-CHART. Hello, thank you, and I love your podcast. I have a question on Verve Therapeutics, Victor, Edward, Robert, Victor. Recently, they've had pretty good earnings and revenue. I'm wondering if you feel the value, according to the analyst, that $35 in the future is plausible, and if you feel the value now is good, what would be a good price getting in? I appreciate it. So Verve Therapeutics, V-E-R-V, is a genetic medicines company, and it engages in the development of the approach to the care of cardiovascular disease, heart disease being one of the greatest or rather the highest percentage killers of Americans, is a very important disease to do research on. But as with any biotech company, it's incredibly expensive and incredibly risky. It's a $1.3 billion market cap company that has had a recent run-up from about $13 a share to where it is today at $16.29. It certainly did have improved earnings. Its revenue was up to $11 billion from $1.9 billion, which is positive, but it still isn't making money. It lost $3.12 a share last year. It's projected to lose $3 next year, and or rather this year, and $3.25 the year after. Short interest, 22% out there. So looking at this, it is an incredibly, incredibly, incredibly high risk opportunity, as are a lot of these biotech pharmaceutical companies. They are predicated upon their research paying off, and they're predicated upon finding a market for something that doesn't exist now. So for me, given that we are in a higher interest rate environment and the market is signaling to you via the 22% short interest that they don't believe this company is fairly valued, I would stay away for now. I would wait for some time to see some improvements on a profitability perspective, or at least getting close to breaking even. Thanks for the call. Now we're going to a quick break. Please remember that you can call anytime and leave your questions on the Invest Talk Voice Bank, 888-99-CHART. Just wondering what your thoughts are on all the Robinhood trading and the, the Red Hat boards. Got a question for Steve or Justin? Now is a good time to call Invest Talk.
Every investor is working to build a secure financial future. How they get there and when they get there, that depends on many variables. The more you learn about how the market works, the better your chances. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. One important note is a quick correction on Verve's revenue, which is $11 million, not $11 billion. If it was making $11 billion, certainly, it would be something that we would recommend, but that would be $11 million. But my main focus point today concerns, I would say, a market that some people tend to ignore because it's not as exciting, it's not as volatile, it's not as interesting to some people, but it's important, and that is the bond market because although it's less visible counterpart to the stock market, it's a critical part of the economy. And within the bond market, there is one asset that above all else is king, and that is the U.S. Treasury bond. Now, recently, there's been a shift in the perception of the U.S. Treasury market where most people kind of thought of it as a market for the Fed to participate or foreigners who are looking to hedge against their own currency risk. And it's being pushed towards a broader investor base that wants to participate just because yields are higher than they've been in over a decade. And given this rise in yields, the composition has, like I said, significantly changed, which may have larger impacts on the economy overall. And two of the historically largest participants in treasury auctions, China and Japan, along with the Fed, have been reducing their overall holding levels in recent years, which has led to really a dilemma in terms of how these things are priced, because there's been more and more demand coming from the institutional retail investor side, which tends to be less sticky and far more price sensitive. And so at the beginning of 2023, most of our government debt was held domestically. Only about 30% was held abroad. But of that 30%, about a third of that was held by two participants, China and Japan. And China and Japan's combined holdings in U.S. Treasuries has dropped to a record low, making up just shy of 8% of the $25 trillion market, down significantly from its peak in 2006, which was a quarter of that market. And so all of this is coming on the heels of the Treasury holding its largest ever debt auctions over the first four months of this year. The five-year auction in April alone is set to be $70 billion. That's the largest ever for debts over two years maturity. And so there's been this kind of shift in the demand, demand dynamics at a time where increasing, some would say out of control deficits are causing the Fed, or rather the Treasury, to need to finance the government with more and more debt. And so to fund these deficits and service existing debt, Treasury is going to have to continue to issue new bonds. But with these major players stepping away, the overall costs in terms of the yield that has to be offered is likely to go up if conditions stay the way they are. Why is that? I mentioned it before. These new investors that are coming in are incredibly price sensitive. They won't just take what is given to them. And so really there's two ways to offset this and that's why it becomes important. 
One way is lower the target rate and therefore reduce the benchmark for which really all debt is issued. Investors will demand less in terms of treasury yields because they'll also be getting less elsewhere. It's a relative yield problem. The other is something that the Fed actually talked about recently and something that all investors should be aware of and pay attention to, and that is cooling of quantitative tightening. And so quantitative tightening is when the Fed wants to take money out of the market, take liquidity out of the market. So when they cool it off, what they are going to do is they're going to be a buyer of bonds. They're going to release U.S. dollars into the market. And so when March comes around, what's likely to happen is they're going to take a harder stance on injecting more liquidity into the market and creating more demand for buying treasuries from the Fed, thereby lowering the cost. And so given this shift in dynamics of non-Fed buyers requiring higher yields, the Fed really has no choice but to step in and ease the quantitative tightening that has taken hold to try and fight inflation. And really, they're going to have to do that sooner rather than later. Now, let's pivot to... Oh, we got to head to a break. And you've heard us talk about the Invest Talk Market Madness Contest. Instead of basketball brackets, we are putting companies head-to-head in an epic showdown of market prowess. Participants will navigate through the market's ups and downs, all competing for the grand prize of $1,000. It's free to join the fun, and I hope you do. Visit investtalk.com right now to enter and secure your chance to win big. Now, my phone lines are open, as they are seven days a week. Call anytime. 888-99-CHART. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. In today's market, more than ever, you need unbiased investing guidance because it can help you achieve financial freedom. Well, you've come to the right place. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. My question coming from an early investor, pretty young here, but I guess I have some capital here in my uh, portfolio that I'm wondering kind of where and how to diversify it. I currently have um, Spy, Vu, Tesla, Apple, Google, Amazon, Walmart, 
and one of my favorites is Airbnb. I guess my question is, you know, what are some of your opinions? I know coming as an early investor, the market can be pretty scary. What do you think of those companies? I tried to keep a, a little bit aggressive, but still have some type of safety in there as well. And regarding those companies, do you think there's any other companies that are out there that could provide some more growth, especially in the uh, tough markets we're in right now? Thank you. Well, investing certainly can be scary. It's it's daunting because what it is at its core is it's trying to take your own financial future into your own hands. And so in that pursuit, it's important to, one, know what you're doing and to be disciplined. So SPY and VOO, VOO is the Vanguard S&P ETF, SPY, another S&P ETF. You also have Walmart, Tesla, a handful of large cap names that are also already included in the ETFs that you own. So what you're doing here is you're overweighting some of the largest names in the U.S. market. So if you look historically at U.S. market returns, you tend to get higher expected returns from small caps, then mid caps, then large caps in a monotonic way, meaning the expected return is higher as you go further down the size spectrum. And you tend to get a higher expected return from lower relative price companies because you're buying assets for less rather than buying them for more. That's what a value versus growth company means. You also tend to have higher expected return from more profitable companies. So, so thinking about what you hold in your portfolio, and again, it's, it's difficult to know without knowing allocations. There's a lot of overlap between those funds. There's a lot of overlap in your individual stock holdings. So if you're looking to diversify, they say diversification is the only free lunch in investing. It's true. What I would suggest is look outside of tech. Look outside of the flashy names. Look for the boring businesses. Look for the good businesses at fair prices. Invest in some mid caps. Look at some energy names. Look at some materials names. Some of the commodities sectors that are at lows because commodity prices have been lower. So I would say with your individual stock holdings, maybe that's where you take on that extra risk and you look for companies outside of those large cap names that you're already holding through those ETFs. Thanks for the call. Now let's keep moving and play two in a row, which we like to do here. Another call that came in earlier to 888-99-CHART. Hey, Justin and Luke, Bill from Philadelphia here. Uh, calling about Hercules Capital, HTGC. Just looking for a strictly income play. Seems to be uh, a stable stock, not too much volatility, about 9% dividend. Wanted to get your thoughts on it to see if it's a possible uh, goodbye here or should wait for maybe just a, a little pullback. Again, this is strictly just a, an income play, so not looking for crazy growth, just uh, stability. Know what you guys do. Thanks a lot. So HTGC is the ticker. And Hercules is a non-bank lender to venture capital-backed businesses. And so you are 100% correct in that they've had a pretty stable dividend yield. Their five-year average dividend yield is 9% on the dot. From 11.2 to 9, 8.9, 7.7. It's pretty stable. And the growth, frankly, looks, looks pretty good. Five-year annualized growth rate, 
in terms of sales, 19%. That's pretty solid. And so looking at this company, there's a little bit of short interest, about 4%, but not too much. And they have quite a bit of debt, but that's their business. I'm also fine with that. Their payout ratio is hovering around 70, but given their interest rate coverage is six, they're not too leveraged. I think they can still continue to handle that. Their cash flow has been increasing significantly over the past five years, and their profits have been relatively stable. It took a dip in 2022, but relatively stable overall. Given the history of this business, I think the growth is probably better than you let on a little bit. Its price to book is 1.6, so it's pretty fairly valued. Its forward price to earnings is is 8.9 below its five-year average. As an income play, frankly, I, I like this name. I don't think there's a lot of growth potential here. I think it's pretty fairly valued, but they seem to have, for the past five years, and even a little bit further back, been able to, to consistently pay that dividend. So as an income play, I have no problem with it. Thanks for the call. Now, let's pivot to really a closely related topic, considering we just talked about Hercules, which is a non-bank lender. Let's talk about bank lending. And, you know, bank stocks were down pretty broadly today, but one stock in particular, New York Community Bank Corp, was leading the charge, if you will, down 26%. It's lowest close since 1997. So what caused this? Well, you know, the company came out and said it, these are terrible words within the banking industry, identified material weaknesses in internal controls over risk assessment in its loan books. Very scary words for a bank to say. And so this, along with you know, not just this bank, but a lot of banks high exposure to commercial real estate loans are sounding some alarm bells. And not even a year after the bank failures of 2023, pretty significant bank failures. And NYCB, it's not alone. You know, a deal that was intended to support a smaller Philadelphia-based regional bank, a Republic First Bank Corp, I believe, uh, was shut down after it came out that they also had some internal control issues. And so, you know, despite, I would say, both of these banks having issues, it's important to note that they are significantly smaller than the ones that failed in March of 2023. But even so, their troubles are justifiably reigniting some worries and could potentially drive a crisis of confidence within regional banks broadly again. And that's because on top of this, on top of any internal control issues, regional banks are grappling with Challenges similar to a year ago, high interest rates affecting deposit costs and paper losses on bonds, this time commercial real estate. And so they're not the only risks because in the near future, waves of these commercial real estate loans, like I mentioned, are due for renup financing at far higher interest rates or worse. Some of those borrowers may even default altogether. But despite these challenges, it's important to note, I would say, and I think regulators agree, that there's you know, less panic. And that's primarily because if you look at the banks that failed, it was a non-diversified deposit base. And so with these two banks, you don't have that issue. 
Whereas Silicon Valley Bank catered to startups and venture capital. And so a couple text messages went around and they all started running on the bank and then there were liquidity concerns. That's really not, not the issue here. And so, you know, one, one caveat to this story, which is interesting, is if, if NYCB sounds familiar to you, that's because last year it actually acquired one of those failed banks, Signature Bank of New York. But, you know, even with the acquisition of much of Signature Bank's assets, it's still not comparable in size. It's significantly smaller than Silicon Valley Bank was and even smaller still than First Republic Bank was. For now, no one really seems to be in full-blown panic mode, and I'm not either. But I think it's important to note for you the effects that these, quote, failures of risk controls can have in the first step towards causing systematic issues that do drag down the economy. And so going forward, I imagine some federal banking regulators are going to have an interesting week next week and, and make some calls. But either way, we like to bring you informative stories, but also we want to temper panic. So when you see regional banks are down 25% in one day again, it's important to measure your expectations and realize it's an issue, but it's a far different one. Now let's fit in another InvestTalk caller question. You know the number, 888-99-CHART. Good day, Justin and Luke. Prayers for Steve. Chuck from Clayton. Got a question about AMBEV, symbol A-B-E-V, Adam Boy, Edward Victor. It's that Budweiser company. I've held it for quite a while, looking at uh, kind of stagnant. Its uh, earnings were downgraded, but it looks like it's going to earn a couple cents a share over the next couple of years. What are your thoughts on it? Hold it? Get rid of it? Let me know. Be listening on the show. Thank you. ABEV, that Budweiser company, engages in the production, distribution, and sale of beer products, soft drinks, non-alcoholic products as well. And, you know, they were strong at one point relative to the S&P, but their relative strength has gone down pretty precipitously over the past couple years. Their profitability is pretty flat, which if a company falls in terms of relative strength as much as this one has, it's year-to-date change, 11%. It's 52-week change. It's only down 4%, but the rest of the market is up pretty significantly. And so with the profitability being pretty stable and the cash flow being pretty stable, I would probably be more willing to hold on to this name for longer. I mean, look at their earnings. 2019, 2020, 2021, 19 cents, 19 cents, $14. Next two years, 15 cents, 18 cents. This year, 18 cents. Next year, 20 cents. If you look at it from a relative valuation perspective, it's price to books about two. Well below its average. Its price to earnings is about 13. That's about on par with its average. I don't see any real issues. I mean, sales have been stagnant, but earnings have been stable. Their debt levels, minimal, 700 million on a $40 billion company. I don't see any reason to sell it. I think this seems like a pretty undervalued price for it, frankly. So I would still hold on to it. There seems to be a trend that isn't breaking. Let's take a look at this chart real quick. It takes a second to load, so I apologize for the pause. But yeah, I'm not seeing anything that looks too horrendous 
from a technical perspective. It, it seems to me that certainly at least over the past four years, like you said, it's been stagnant, but there's some pretty strong support here. If it starts to break that support, I I would probably consider maybe trimming it down. But fundamentally speaking, I don't see anything wrong with holding on to this company. Thanks for the call. Now, being that it's Friday, we like to make time to fit in as much as we can a quick rundown of key benchmark numbers. So why don't we start? The two-year treasury yield is at 4.538% for perspective. That's up about 0.1%, really almost 0.2 from last week. When it was 4.685, two weeks ago, it was an even 466. 16 weeks back, it was over five at 5.05. And 101 weeks ago, remember a different world, it was 1.961. The 10-year yield was at 4.186 today. Last week, it was a little bit higher at 4.258. Seven weeks, it was really lower at 3.963. And 77 weeks ago, 2.83. Gold was priced at 20 or rather 2,083 per ounce. Last week, it was at 2,036. Five weeks ago, 2,018. 16 weeks ago, it was at 1,935. And 105 weeks ago, it was at 1,806. It's been pretty stable over the past couple weeks. Silver today was at 23.16 per ounce. Last week, it was at 22.95. Five weeks ago, it was at 2,280. 82 weeks ago, it was 1,864. And 100 weeks ago, it was at 2,394. Oil was selling for $79.79 per barrel today, touching, like I mentioned, $80 for the first time in quite some time. Last week, it was $76.59. Five weeks ago, it was $78.04. 20 weeks ago, it was $87.44. 81 weeks ago, it was nearly $90 at $89.63. And 112 weeks ago, it was at $66.62. Commodities are cyclical. The national average for a gallon of regular gasoline is $3.33 per gallon. Two weeks ago, it was 328. Five weeks back, it was 310. 39 weeks ago, it was 356. And 107 weeks ago, it was 357. In California, it was averaging 476 a gallon. Last week, that was 463. Five weeks ago, 448. 18 weeks ago, 532. And 94 weeks ago, 587. For comparison, in Maine today, gas was averaging 321 per gallon. I might just go there and bottle it and bring it back. That's $1.55 less per gallon than gas in California. Now, before we head to a break, I want to preview my next talking point, which we'll talk a little bit about after we come back. But it's really about activist investing. So why don't we start by giving you, before we dive into it, a little tidbit on what activist investors are. So activist investing is, is generally described as taking a significant, not necessarily sizable, but a significant position in a company and attempting to enact change through capturing board seats or rallying for proxy voting. And so historically, this has been done by hedge funds, corporate raiders, private equity funds, and they've been trying to extract as much profit as possible by making company changes. But when we come back, we'll talk about how not only the people doing it, but the motive for why is changing. And this is Invest Talk. I'm Luke Guerrero. And we have one goal here, to help you achieve financial freedom. And our work continues after this break. Get your questions in now or anytime, seven days a week, 888-99-CHART.
investors, the goal of achieving financial freedom requires unbiased information, strategic planning, and determination. Congratulations. You've found the podcast that is dedicated to helping you succeed. Invest Talk. Now, before we went to the break, we started talking about activist investing. And a reminder, it was a tool primarily used by hedge funds, corporate raiders, to extract value from a company by changing its direction, primarily by attacking the board, right? Trying to get their own board members on. And so now unions are taking a chapter out of the hedge fund playbook. Trade unions, specifically the Strategic Organizing Center, SOC, are adopting these tactics and targeting Starbucks with the aim of improving worker conditions rather than seeking financial gains. Now, they don't own a big stake. They own about $16,000. But what they're trying to do is rally other shareholders and appoint three of its own candidates to Starbucks's 11-person board. Their argument to all investors, better human capital management leads to higher productivity. Sounds reasonable. Now, Starbucks's board is comprised of, as they would like to say, world-class business leaders. And they've highlighted recent investments in wages, training, new equipment, all things to benefit employees. And this is an interesting turn because if you recall back in 2018, the Business Roundtable embraced stakeholder capitalism, thinking not just about shareholders, but all the people that are involved with the company, its stakeholders. But that kind of took a step back. And so 2023 has seen a record number of ESG proposals from smaller shareholders, influenced by the 2021 SEC policy change allowing more measures to be considered. One example of note of the consequences of this change, Exxon, who has a lawsuit against shareholders who are proposing green initiatives. And so what this is doing is creating some level of tension, frankly, between shareholders and between companies themselves. And so going forward, it's, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see how this affects company direction. Because shareholders do have a lot of influence. And if you can get larger shareholders to tack on with unions, sympathetic institutions or rally retail investors in a time where retail investors are having more and more influence on the investing landscape. These activist campaigns, which have historically, like I said, been about extracting value, could extract value in a new way. And so an interesting caveat to that is employee retention, employee productivity could affect bottom line profits. So when situations like this happen, not just the activist investing side of it, but changes in SEC rules, in this case, allowing really easily people to put up proxy voting matters to all shareholders in a way that wasn't the case today, you do have unintended consequences. This is the unintended consequence. And so for me, the most interesting part is not just the effect that this could have, but that's something that has been seen from a, the perspective of the broad public as a tactic by evil corporators <laughs> is now being implored by something that people have seen 
or rather groups that people have seemed to believe are more palatable. And so this goes along with a lot of other things that have been happening with labor, with collective bargaining, with organization. And so this overall trend is certainly something that we as investors have to be aware of because yes, it can affect bottom line profits, but there are also costs related to it. So as always, double-edged sword. Now, unfortunately, we don't have any more time for an additional caller question, but lucky for you and really lucky for us, we do Invest Talk five days a week. So we will be returning Monday to bring you more topics and answer more of your questions. But until then, I'm Luke Guerrero, and this completes another Invest Talk program. We thank you for listening, and we encourage you to tell your friends and your family members about our free podcast downloads. Get yours anytime at iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Please be sure to review and rate us on iTunes. And don't forget about the Invest Talk March Madness Contest, frankly, my favorite time of year. Learn more and enter now at investtalk.com. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Enjoy your weekend. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening, and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART. Thank you.